What if your faith could become more than just a story? What if your faith could be as gentle as a dove and as wise as a serpent? What if your faith could become as bold as a lion? What if your faith could become lethal? My name is Blake Harris, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Michael Knight. And here on the Lethal Faith Podcast, we're here to give your faith some lethality. Guys, we're back and we're flying at 30,000 feet today. Uh, So if you tuned in to the last podcast, we began to talk about philosophies and really philosophies of thought, or as some people call it, worldviews. Used to, there were just a couple worldviews, about seven in all, that were major worldviews. But now, since probably in the last five or six years or so, worldviews has really exploded, and we've got some... We really hit some interesting topics on the last podcast about, you know, we talked a little bit about Black Lives Matter, subjective truth, you know. Uh, What's true for you isn't always true for me. And feminism, deconstruction, progressive, conservatives. And then we ended on identity politics, which is completely obliterating uh, uh, our country right now in America. And and we're going to pick it just... We're going to just go dive right into this one, and we're going to be talking about white privilege. Michael, tell me what you think about that one. Well, you know, Lethal Faith family, is there a white privilege? Yes, there is. Let's be honest. There is a white privilege. Now, are white people racist? Well, most of them, many of them, will say absolutely not. But then again, there are some experiences that I do believe that white men or Caucasians need to understand that an African-American or an Asian would not understand. And so here again, we are in a sensitive area of a 2020 summer of philosophies. Yes. And looking at them, not here to define what's right and wrong, but here to just give a broad 30,000-foot overview of these subjects, then go to the Bible to see what the Bible tells us about handling philosophies, whether they're dangerous or whether they're helpful. And um, we're headed that. But I think it takes a little bit of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, am I a racist? I would tell you adamantly not. I've got my own demons, but it's not that. It's never yeah. been that. However, um, an African-American friend of mine said, okay, I, I believe that about you, Michael. He said, but if your daughter brought home a black boy, what would you say? Yeah. And um, if you had a child that was a grandchild that was black, how would, you, uh, how would that affect you? And uh, if a black... Family move next to you in your home. How would you handle that? And I really thought about those things, and those things would not bother me mm-hmm. as long as they're saved, as yeah. long as they're Christians. And I've had these conversations with my children. Yeah, you know. So on one hand, a lot of white people uh, that I know, because white people are going to say things in front of white people that they won't say in front of black people, uh, yes. and black people are going to say things in front of black people that they won't say in front of white people. Yes. So we all understand there's this cultural intersexuality, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, inter- intersection. But I think it's important for us to approach this concept of white privilege with some common sense and some biblical. 
common yeah. sense. And I agree with that because if you were to ask my dad if there was white privilege, he would adamantly deny it. You know, my dad, he grew up, he had nine brothers and sisters. He grew up dirt poor. I mean, talking about literally slept on dirt floors. And, you know, he dug an outhouse. You know, I mean, he, he was extremely poor growing up. He had holes in his jeans. And he, he's told me stories about how he was made fun of because he went to school with holes in his jeans, which now we kind of think, well, that's you the, pay extra for it. That's, you pay extra for that now. It drives my dad nuts, for, you know, <laughs> on things like, like that. Like 50 bucks extra. You know? And so, you know, if you talk to my dad, my dad's like, there ain't no way, you know? And there's, there's no such thing as white privilege because of his own um, experiences in his life, right. you know? Well, you've made a good point there, Blake, because not every white man has had a white privilege. That's my right. mother and father did not have a white privilege mm-hmm. in that they were raised dirt poor, mm-hmm. swept the dirt, yes. and had outdoor plumbing. Mm-hmm. And they worked themselves up. But did my dad have an opportunity that an African-American man did not have that was in the same situation? My dad, his dad died when he was 13. He was mm-hmm. left on his own, got wild as a buck. Uh, granny loved him but couldn't control him. Mm-hmm. He had eight or nine brothers and sisters like your dad. And our dads had opportunities. Yes. But in 1960, an African-American didn't have those opportunities. That's right. Not in the same way that our dads did. But then again, it can be very offensive to someone who actually doesn't want to be a racist to be said that they had some kind of hand up in the world, whereas mm-hmm. somebody else, when they had to work themselves up out of outdoor plumbing too. That's right. You know, and, and so, you know, and that's really my, my dad's argument with that all is that, you know, he worked to get every to get everything he's gotten, you know. Like, my dad was the first one of his brothers and sisters to graduate high school, you know, and, and my dad graduated in, in the 80s, you know, and so it, it's a, it's like a slap in the face to him whenever you say those things. But I also understand that, you know, like you, you were saying, is that he was still raised with a father. Unfortunately, in a lot of black communities, we still have children being raised without fathers. And in white communities, that's – not necessarily the case. But it used to be. Well, that's true. Case, but it is today. And you made a good point. I don't mean to interrupt you, Blake. Yeah, no, but you made fine. a great point right there. Because my African-American friends will say, yes, but I don't remember anybody tearing your family apart in 1867 yeah. before the Civil War and selling your daughter and your son off and then moving your wife to another plantation. Yes. And then you expect for us just to naturally catch up because yes. you've had an epiphany about racism. Mm-hmm. that there are these underlying institutional aspects of being black or Asian in this country that we had no control over that has rooted itself in our family systems. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, and we can continue. You can walk all the way through history, Jim Crow laws, all those things. Those things were systematically in place, and, and to some degree, they, they exist a little bit today. You know, the Jim Crow laws obviously don't exist now, but once again, that that permeated their, their families, and it continued on through the generations. You know what I did know, Lethal Faith family, Blake, I was having a conversation with a, a friend of mine who's an African-American. He's very, very educated, multiple doctor's degrees, and, and uh, just a great guy. And uh, he, he said something to me that I did not know. I did not know uh, that, I guess, 50 years ago, 70 years ago, I'm not sure of the time, 
that in deeds in white neighborhoods, it specifically said that you were not allowed to sell your home to an African-American. Wow. Now, that alone would cause African-Americans to be part of a community and forced yes. to be part of community. And white people don't realize how offensive it can be when you say that's in the black part of town. Yeah. Because it's laws that structured those that's black right. part of towns. That's right. You know, and if you go back to, like, whenever we were, America was building major highways throughout uh, America, you can find where they would purposely take them through black communities and force the black communities to a completely different part of town to where they wanted them. And if they didn't move, uh, I'm thinking this was actually in Detroit, that they actually went in and they burned their community down uh, just to move them out. And so, you know, things like that are... Tulsa too. Yeah, that's right, Tulsa. Yeah, and so there's truth to some of these things. But where God comes into these things is that, number one, Christians are supposed to stand up for injustice. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need to do a whole podcast on that. But also, anything that's going to pit someone against another person is not of God. All of them, black, white, Asians, Puerto Ricans, Hispanics, everyone's created in the image of God. And when we get into identity politics or we use white privilege in a way to attack people rather than open the conversation. Yeah. Like um, I had a friend and his dad was an AT&T executive in Kansas City. And me and him and some other people were out in the country areas of Oklahoma. And it was late at night, and we wanted some chips and Cokes and, you know, snacks. And so we walk into this little old gas station somewhere. And it was one of those old-fashioned gas stations. And I looked at my friend, and I said, hey, buddy, come on. And he said, I ain't about to get out here. <laughs> and I'll never forget that, Blake. I didn't yeah. understand his experience. Mm-hmm. I had never, as a white male, mm-hmm. uh, with I had lots of privilege. I will admit that. Uh, and God will hold me accountable for it and how I help other people who are suffering injustices and how I use my own privilege. But I'll never forget thinking, what's, what's wrong with you? And I called his name, who I still adore to this day. I said, buddy, I said, come on, ain't nobody going to bother you. And I could see the fear in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a great human being, but he wouldn't get out. And here's the thing, Blake, that got me. My friend and I talked him out of getting out of the car. And he walked in, and so help me God, every eye yeah. stared him down until we got back into the car. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a true story. That's not true of everywhere. It's not true of most experiences, but mm-hmm. it's too true too often. Yes. And so there is this understanding of truth about white privilege that I think evangelical Christians, that we really need to begin to understand. Then there's this intersectionality, and we'll talk about that later. These are big words, but that is really an analytical framework for understanding how an aspect of a person's social and political identities combine to create different modes of discrimination. In other words, um, my family may have not used the N-word, and I grew up with a family that that didn't use that. Um, But uh, some of them may or may not have wanted an African-American to move next door. Yes. So... There is truth here, mm-hmm. but again, on all of these philosophies, is when we demonize each other mm-hmm. and, and not talk. And, and I know this is going to be extremely controversial, but I have a dear friend. Matter of fact, we're going to invite him in on the podcast if he'll come. But he's the head of the LGBT community for four states. 
I was, uh, and uh, very, very politically active. And his views and my worldviews are diametrically opposed in many ways. But when it comes to being human, it's not. I would call him one, one, of, uh, one of my close, very close friends. And if I was in trouble, I could call him today, and he would be right there to help me. And he has called me when he's been in trouble, mm-hmm. and I've helped him. So even in areas that may seem, um, in areas that, that are black and white, or areas that may or not be black or white, or philosophical areas, you know, we're not here to go yes and no today. Even in areas that may be uh, diametrically opposed to your faith, mm-hmm. let's use something easy like Islam, okay, okay? Or, or Buddhism. It doesn't mean Buddhists or Muslims are all bad. No. You know, I've got friends that are Muslim and friends that are Buddhist that are good people, Hindu friends of mine that are good people. And so uh, oftentimes we uh, fail to have the conversation with another person and we don't value their humanity. Yeah, you know, and, and that's uh, kind of the, the crux of who, who Jesus was whenever he, he came to this earth, you know, the first time was that he, he valued people's humanity. You know, I, I think about the woman at, at the well, you know, and he he knew exactly who she was. You know, he, he knew everything about her. He, he said, you know, you've had six husbands and you're with another one now. You know, he, he knew everything about her, but yet he still offered her a drink of water from the well, you know, because he valued who she was and not what she was doing. No, absolutely. Well, other 30,000 square foot, it's private sector speech. Now, let's use a little bit of wisdom. Uh, should Christians, and I use the word disciple because I don't want to be a Christian, I want to be a disciple. Yes. Should, should a disciple uh, protect free speech? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We don't want people dictating our books. I bought a book the other day on transgenderism. And Barnes and Noble, and this wasn't a Christian book. Mm-hmm. Barnes and Nobles banned that book the next day. Wow! It was banned the next day. Um, and so when we sh- when we're shutting down free speech, when Al Qaeda can keep their social media accounts on Facebook and Twitter, but Donald Trump or a conservative or Billy Graham or Franklin Graham is knocked off, something's dangerous there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and this is uh, this is something I, I kind of struggle with with private sector because in America, you know, we say, well, that's the private sector. You know, they can if they choose to kick you off, so to speak, then that's they're they're within the law of the land, so to speak. And mm, that's uh, a good point, Blake. I never thought about the private sector and the public sector argument with free speech because that's exactly where they're at with coronavirus vaccines. And I have my vaccine. I'm glad I got my vaccines. I would get my vaccines again. But now they're saying in the public sector, you have to have a vaccine. Yeah. You know, and so, hmm. you know, it, it, it's it's this weird argument, uh, you know, because I, I looked it up because, you know, you have some hospitals now that are saying, well, you've got to get a vaccine. The president you, said that yesterday. Yeah. You know. It, it, or you're fired. Yeah, that's right. And so we're, we're coming to a head with some of these things and, uh, in America, the law is actually on the hospital side when it comes 
comes to that, you know, and because I looked well, it up. Everybody had to get a polio vaccine. That's right. You know, so, you know, you're kind of like, okay, what, you don't know what to do. You know, you're like, well, do I hold true to this value that I believe is true or do I keep my job, you know? And, and so like people were starting to make hard decisions about what, what do they really believe, you know? And, uh, Man, that's, that's a hard dilemma right there. Now, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. I believe in free speech okay. because I believe in preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. All right? But I don't have the right to go into a movie theater and yell fire. No. So where's the balance? You know, and, and I think that's really uh, what the true argument is, is where's the balance? And to me, it's when the government itself forces the, the hand. Not so much as if your place of business forces your hand. Uh, now, that's kind of where I'm at right now, you know. Now, that may change, you know, over the course of the next six months. I don't know, you know, because uh, America, as we know it, is really changing drastically uh, right before our eyes. So, you know, right now I'm still like, well, a private sector, you know, a private business can still say, well, this is how we're going to do it, and you can work here or you cannot, mm-hmm. you know. And so for me right now, that's where I am. Now the government want to step in and say everybody's getting a vaccine and we don't care. Man, that, that's uh, – I have a it, hard time with yeah. mandating um, simply because of my eschatology. However, I don't believe that's the case right now. But then again, I'm mandated to get a, a polio vaccine – uh, Th- that's right, yeah. and, and that—that's the other dilemma too. Is like you know we're talking about vaccine, and and we—I remember going having to go to before I could go to school, I had to get vaccines. Yeah, and here's the the deal: it all boils down to trust. Yes, people do not trust certain people that are scientists that are on television right now. Mm-hmm. They trust other people, and if you can't trust the American government to protect the American people and foreign soul, how can you trust them when they want everybody to get vaccinated? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there, there's a, and, and, and there, this is a great point. The power of the Christian worldview is rooted in integrity and character. Yes. Yes is yes and no is no. So if I live a life of character and integrity where my life is integrated, I'm not a hypocrite, and I tell you, yes, I'm there. When I say that I stand up for injustice, I don't ignore it. When there's an integration of my values, vision, and mission, yeah, 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 it's a big difference. That, that's right. You're right on with that. If if we didn't have if the if our unfortunately if our government didn't have an integrity issue right now, we wouldn't be having this argument. That's true. Well, then one of the other philosophies, Blake, is cultural appropriations, and I need to understand this better, but I have a little trouble with it. Mm-hmm. And and it's just like changing the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And not using the word chief is bothersome to me. If they used it in a derogatory term, Mm -hmm. if they used Native Americans in an oppressive term, it would be different. Mm -hmm. Or you can't wear dreadlocks, you're white. Yeah. I got a white friend right now in rehab that's got dreadlocks. He just put them on. Uh, But he was raised where that was cultural appropriate for him. It's not about his color. That's right. You know, that's what I always, I remember having this conversation when I worked for a major telecommunications uh, company and they, I remember having this conversation with an African-American girl I worked with and I said, is it wrong for a white person to have dreadlocks? She said, yeah, that's not part of their culture. 
And I said, that's, that's racist to you me. Know, and, How do you know it's not part of their culture? You know, and I looked at her and I, I said. I have lots of friends that it's part of their culture. I, I, I said, I said, so, you, I said, you know, African-Americans, obviously. We, I don't say get, that African-Americans that wear vineyard vine. Yeah. You know, I mean, but like I looked at her and I, and I said, I said, you know, we were just having an open dialogue. We're friends to this day. And I, and I said, I said, have you ever been to Africa? She said, no. I said, but white people live in Africa. Yeah. And I said, they wear dreadlocks. I said, they wear dreadlocks because it was easier to maintain their hair, you know, down there. You know, especially if you were poor. They just kind of matted up and kind of it's kept on It's just another day. way to divide people, I think. And respecting cultures, yes, Blake. Mm-hmm. But cultural appropriation where you cannot dress like, a, like an African-American. Listen, mockery is one of the great, and I don't mean mockery in a bad word. Mimicking is a better yes. word. Mimicking is a great flattery. Yeah. You know, when someone mimics you, even Tom uh, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great for Social Sector, says you know you're successful in a nonprofit organization when people mimic or mock what you've been doing. Like in this city we're in right now. Mm-hmm. No one bought billboards 21 years ago here. Mm-hmm. You saw very few churches reaching out on the ways that we reached out, and we started doing it, people started mocking us. Mm-hmm. Mimicking us—that's flattery. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, you, you talk about that, and I always think about like the the hip hop movement. You know, when it really came on the scene, man, everybody was dressing the way hip hop artists dressed. You know, we had huge baggy jeans and huge baggy shorts. I mean, I remember having a pair of shorts that that touched my ankles. You know, and yeah. I remember thinking, man, this is cool. Well, there's certain African American clothing and 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 customs and culture that mm-hmm. I love. Yeah. I mean, my son loves some of the African-American cultures. All three of my kids' best friends are Mm African-Americans. And it's not about these divisive walls. You can't wear that because you're black. You can't wear that because you're Asian. You can't wear that because you're Indian. You can't wear that because he's Indian and you're not. Or Native American. Mm -hmm. Or India, man. You know, you can't do that. And anything that's going to divide us just really, really bothers me. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the gender politics that are involved, the queering of the American corporation, mm-hmm. and, and that whole philosophy that is there. And then uh, the conversion. And, you know, it's one thing for somebody to fight for their rights. It's another thing for someone to, to oppose or to, to um, uh, leverage those things to persecute someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm real big on free speech and being able to be free in, ex- in expressions, I'm going to get myself in a ditch here. But then again, let me tell you where the church is going to have to really be careful. It will be illegal in this country in the coming 10 to 15 years to try to convert anyone who is LGBT or think that they're LGBT. And to me, that's one of the real issues. Not uh, There's... Uh, um, if you try to convert anyone, conversion therapy, there's movies about it on Netflix and, mm-hmm. and uh, a prime uh, video. Uh, it's where it's going to be illegal to try to convert someone who says they're one sexuality or another. Yeah, that's uh, and that, it's a sensitive topic whenever you begin to talk about that, you know, because it's like I, I, I personally don't believe that you can necessarily talk someone or have them go through therapy and come out of homosexuality, so to speak. It's you know, kind of what Exodus International said. You know, but to me, I, it, 
in order for you to come out of sin, right, this is the power of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Unfortunately, sometimes in Pentecost circles, we think that the power of the Holy Spirit is for you to fall down in service. But in reality, the power of the Holy Spirit is to raise you up out of sin, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and to me, until you have an encounter with Jesus, it's, it's not no amount of therapy is going to help bring you out of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, the Lord will lead you to truth. Um, and... Uh, I just think that uh, when we start politicizing gender and we start politicizing science, people are mm-hmm. not trusting science right now because we politicized it. Yeah. And I think there's just dangerous ditches here. We've mm-hmm. got to be careful. And one of those ditches, this ain't a ditch, this is a freaking uh, gulf, <laughs> and that is toxic masculinity. You know, I, I got it. I, there was a commercial a couple years ago, and it was talking about, I think it was like a, a Gillette, you know, Mach 3 shaving commercial, right? And this commercial just shows, like, dads teaching their sons how to shave and all this and that. And, man, they got blasted for it, saying it was toxic masculinity. Then they Te- came out with the other stupid commercial that was just the opposite. Uh, yeah, you know, and I thought, how was teaching a young man to shave toxic masculinity, like, if you don't know how to shave, you're going to be yeah. in a bad God road. Cre- God created us male and female. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that people don't have gender identity feelings. I'm not saying that. I'm not disrespecting. I will never be disrespectful for anyone who believes this, lives this, or feels this. Right. But in toxic masculinity, uh, Blake, if I lived in 1776... Mm-hmm. And I was being attacked in the wilderness by people who want to kill me. And I am a woman who just so happens not to be stronger than a male in this particular case. And I had children around me. I would sure in the blessed assurance hope somebody around me has got some toxic masculinity. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, the problem is that what they're calling ta- toxic masculinity is just masculinity. Masculinity. You know, it, they're, they're knocking the, the the way God has created male and female. And I'm right. not saying that people don't have uh, feelings that are uh, a, a same self a, 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 of a feeling like they're a female trapped in a male's body. That, that's right. You know, and so. But you don't demonize masculinity in the process. That's right. Uh, it's just crazy. We're men, and that's just the way we were created to be, and this, unfortunately. Blake, this is the one that worries me the most. Uh, the attack on a patriarch, uh, of where there's a father and a mother. Mm-hmm. Listen, we cannot afford to, 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 to demonize a man and a woman, femininity and masculinity. Mm-hmm. Let's say for the argument that transgender is right and that homosexuality is right. Let's say for the argument that people are born this way. Okay. Let's just say for the argument that's the case. That does not remove the fact that people are born masculine and feminine or people that are born with a, a, a traditional family. We can't mm-hmm. demonize that in the process. Yes. Yeah. And so you, we're dealing with the, the attack on the American family, like for Black Lives Matter, wanting mm-hmm. to destroy that nuclear family, gender identity, you know, rather than finding our identity in Christ, misgendering, you know, I'm going to fine you $100,000 because you call me a male and I want to be called by another pronoun. 
um, gender binary where we don't even know what gender you are or there's last time I checked there's 32 of them even my friends in the LGBT community will tell you we shouldn't be adding anything to the LGBTQ there's too yeah. many acronyms people aren't going to remember it and the FBI will tell you the reason we I was on the phone call with the FBI agent that was that named criminals in Chicago so when mm-hmm. someone stole something, say they did what uh, the Christmas movie said, they were the Sticky Bandits. Yeah. The FBI gave them the name Sticky Bandits so that in the public opinion, everybody would know them. Right. And, and, and all of these things are, are just very sensitive and very culturally in our face. And as evangelical, intellectual, charismatics, we have to approach all of these subjects with compassion and love and reconciliation and listening and understanding and not judging someone based on what they struggle, what they don't struggle with, but to really develop a relationship. And everything that we're talking about last time, last week into this week is really about things that are causing us to divide each other as human beings. That's right. You know, and, and this is what it all does is it comes in and divides. You know, you're talking about, you know, we don't want to invalidate someone the way they feel or anything like that. You know, we, we want to meet people with exactly where they are. We want to um, allow ourselves to... to be invited into their suffering, so to speak. Just the way Jesus came to this earth, he he came to this earth through suffering. You know, he he came through this earth uh, th- through the pain of childbirth. He was born through suffering, and he died through suffering. You know, and, and that's really where we have to kind of stay, so to speak, as far as talking to to people. Is that we want to um, come and live with them on a on their plane of suffering and say, yo, there, there's more to this life than, than what you're experiencing. And right. And that's, that's Blake's heart. And I, I agree with that. And my heart is that all of these philosophies do one thing. They divide human beings to hate each other. Yeah. And I'm against that. I'm against that. You know what? What are you for? I'm few, for a very few things. Jesus is the only way to God. Mm-hmm. The Bible is the word of God. The Holy Spirit is for today. And God created this male and female. Yep. You know? And I'm not going to hate anybody. And, 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 and a lot of people hate me because of what I believe. I don't hate them. And that's one of the things I love about my friends that have such different worldviews than I do. We're able to talk to each other. I have African-American friends that I can talk about and hear their their cry and hear their pain and understand their world. The same is true regarding of theology mm-hmm. of my LGBTQ friends, to hear their cry, to hear their uh, struggles in life, and to understand them. Because mm-hmm. if I ever just demonize someone and I don't listen to them, and I don't love them unconditionally, whether they agree with my philosophy or not, whether they agree with what I consider absolute truth, is to still love them. And so living in this world, Blake, all the philosophies we talked about the last two, two weeks, that's my heart. It's not to say this is right, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible already does this. Read the Word of God, Yeah. okay? Uh, but it divides people. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a friend that's LGBTQ that hates it, it, that's I was so close to all my life. And they literally almost hate me. Not hate me, but they won't have anything to do with me because they judge me based on who I am, what I do, 
and the fact that I am an intellectual evangelical charismatic. Mm-hmm. That breaks my heart. And I don't want my African-American friends to do that to me because I'm white. I don't want my LGBTQ friends to do that because I'm straight. I don't want uh, my Asian friends to do that because I'm not Asian. Right. Jesus came to reconcile the world. And as Christians, we have the spirit of reconciliation. How in the world do we reconcile differences? And for white people to understand there is a little bit of white privilege. And for feminists to realize, you know what? A man should be paid the same as a woman, and a woman should be paid the same as a man, even under the Obama administration and Joe Biden's administration, because in the Donald Trump administration, because that's the truth. You know, it just divides us. And so you look at all these other things, Blake, that divides us. Gender dysphoria, uh, transgender clinics, the concept of socialism, which I think is extremely dangerous. This generation needs to know that the pilgrims tried socialism and it failed in America. You want to know why? Because there's a a fat guy over here in the the cabin who slept all day long and didn't work. Mm -hmm. That's why we call it the Protestant work ethic. But he got the same as everybody else. Yeah. And when we get to the place where America doesn't want to work and they want a handout, we're in huge trouble. Now, are we supposed to help the poor? Are we supposed to help the yes. disenfranchised? Are people who are filthy rich to whom much is given, much required, expected to stand up for justice? Absolutely. That's right. The The difference for me when it comes to socialism is that call is on me and you. It's not the call upon the government. Wow. That's good. But how do you, I mean, you can't trust people. I wish everybody was like Blake. Most people are greedy. <laughs> You're right. You know? So there is the, are these issues. Like if you go to Turkey in a Muslim nation that was before they were hijacked by the radical they have as president now, when Ataturk uh, was the president and made Turkey a Muslim Western democracy, everybody gets their college paid for in Turkey. Must be nice. You know, it is. <laughs> Especially when you just send a kid to a college and to pay, write a check for thousands of dollars last week. That's right. And so socialism is there. And it's important that we talk about these things. And then Marxism. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? You know, Marxism, like you said in uh, the last podcast, is essentially communism, you know, is we have big government saying, all right, you're going to work for this. And so, you know, we're going to tell you what you're going to do, who that's you're right. going to be, and how much you're going to make. That's right. You know, Whether you're smart enough to do it or not. That's right. They come in and they say, all right, we need you guys to make five cows, all right? So you make five cows, and you never stop working for those five cows. You never get the five cows either. That's right. You never own them. <laughs> that's right. You never get anything. And, there's, and eventually the government says, says, all right, just keep making five more cows, and, and you have no idea what you're working for. Well, see, that's my problem with socialism and Marxism and neo-Marxism. Yeah. My problem is, Blake, is that it's not that there's not rich people. Yeah. It's that the wealth changes hands. Yes. And that people who have the power dictate to the masses in the Roman Empire who's going to get the bread from Caesar. Yes. You know, like I've had this conversation multiple times with uh, people I work with, you know, because where I work at has a union. And they're all the time fussing about, you know, well, the CEO got $22 million this time and all this and that, you know. And and I just look at him and I I simply explain, I got no beef with this guy getting $22 million. I have beef with what he does with his money. Now that's you. I, I was going to object. <laughs> I feel like I'm on Judge Judy. And all these idiots that object. There's not a lawyer there. You can't object when you're just in small claims court. However, 
That's exactly right. You know, it, it's all, I, I don't, because at the end of the day, if you want to create a business, it takes lots of money to create a business, you know, and to, to create a huge business, it takes lots of money. And that person who has invested the money uh, carries all the risk. If the business goes under and he's bought $50 million worth of equipment, he's still responsible for that $50 million worth of equipment, you know. And so uh, if he continues to make millions of dollars, guess what? He can continue to make more businesses. But if this guy's got 10 houses and 50 billion cars and, and he's just – flying around the world, going beach to beach, doing whatever he wants, taking a vacation here and there, no problem. You're like the rest of us. But if you're spending all your money frivolously just doing whatever, nah, I got a problem with that. Me too. And, and there's truth and in, in, uh, untruth in all of these things, but there is absolute truth. Everybody stay rooted on the docks right now. Mm-hmm. All right? And, and this, is, this is tough waters. Well, yeah. Ain't nothing easy about what we're doing right now. But I think about the quote from Antonio Gramsci. Is that how you pronounce his name? I believe so. It says, socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity and the new order. Socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture by infiltration of schools, university, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. I definitely believe that was written, what, in the 1920s? Oh, yeah. 1910s? And so... Trickle-down economy, you didn't build that. Communism and capitalism that we talk about. The New Green Deal, the anti-Semitism. You can make fun of anybody. Or you can't make fun of anyone based on anything, sex, uh, their hairstyle, their color, nothing. I feel sorry for comedians today. They can't make fun of nobody <laughs> but Christians and Jews. So anti-Semitism and political correctness. Oh, I'm definitely not politically correct. <laughs> and, and, and violence. Some pe- white people are going to have to die. People are actually saying that. That's the right. divisiveness based on skin color. And if it was wrong in 1960, it dang sure is wrong in 2021. Absolutely. And climate change and authoritarianism and judicial activism and regulation of free speech and the political correct wrath. They don't deserve to be listened to. And abortion is the moral good, the redefining of philosophy, the natural con- national consensus and reciprocity. And, you know, you look at reciprocity in the Choctaw Indians in Oklahoma City. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. But reciprocity tied to something that has no responsibility is always a bad idea. Look at other Native American reservations where alcoholism and suicide is rampant. You look at dualism and humanism and enlightenment and and disintegrationist and um, all of these things. What if Blake and I told you we're wrestling against the wrong thing? We're not wrestling in the church against cultural relevance. We have never been more culturally relevant than we we are right now and more culturally irrelevant. Yeah, you're right. You know, we... We have smoke, lights, and mirrors in, in lots of our churches today, and I've got no beef with that at all. You know what? If it helps draw you in, I'm for it. It's you a know, tool. That's right. It's just a tool. It's a means to an end, you know. But we are not addressing the way people think anymore. That's exactly right, Blake. That's bingo. Somebody pull a fire alarm. Bingo. You know, it, and that's the problem because yes. we're wrestling against all of these philosophical ideas. Which one is right? 
That's right. You know, and, and so until we begin to address those things uh, that are permeating our culture, right? We're, the church is really good at creating a subculture. We're not good at creating a counterculture. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. absolutely right. You know, and, and so until we begin to engage people. We look too much like the world. That's right. Until we engage people in their minds, right, which is the whole reason Nero fought against Christians in the first place was because they thought completely different than the Roman Empire. You know, until we engage our minds again, right, Whew, I'm going today, yeah, right, <laughs> you know, we'll never uh, counteract our culture. We will just be the same status quo. We've heard it in churches all around the world. We're the frozen chosen, right? And we will stay there until Jesus comes back. And I pray to God we all make it. But dear goodness, if we do nothing on this earth, what good have we done? That's right. You'll never convince me that we didn't lose. Brilliantly said, Blake, we lost Christianity in Western civilization because we were not different than the rest of the world. That's right. And I'm not talking about hairline hymns and hoses, yep. whether you went to the movies or not or drank Coca-Cola. I'm talking about values being lived out in the marketplace of society and ideas. Christians like Kepler were the leading scientists. Mm -hmm. Christians were painters and artists like Michelangelo. D'Angelo. Christians were, were um, scientists like the guy that founded um, anesthesiology they were bakers, they were academics, they were teachers, they were nurses, they started hospitals. We've got to go back in and live out our values. But to live out our values, there's got to be a difference between us and the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, uh, we're not wrestling against cultural relevance. We're not wrestling against clever marketing. We're not wrestling against the dumbing down of American, or of, of uh, the dumbing down of the message, which we have dumbed down the message. We're wrestling against a lie. You know, and so we've got to be, I'm sorry, we've got to be definitive and bold about certain truths, but with an understanding and a compassion that we don't come across as know-it-alls mm -hmm. and that we don't come across, and listen, I don't send people to hell. That's God's job, yeah. not mine. You don't go to hell. You go to hell for not knowing Christ as your Savior. That's it. That's period. And that's where I'll stay and that's the hill I'll die on. You've got to know Jesus. <clears throat> now, there's lots of hermeneutics in all of that. But at the same time, Blake, we've got to raise up a new generation that will say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Here is what we believe, and here is why we believe it. Absolutely. Guys, oh. I can continue to go we're on. We're fired up That's on this right. one, Blake. You make sure you tell them to go to the neverfore.tv and enter in the dialogue box with us, yeah. where we sent you a couple weeks ago about looking for pictures of dinosaur footprints and human footprints on the same stratification. That's the same place you go, neverbefore.tv, and dialogue with us. And, and don't attack. If you attack uh, and, and you're mean and hateful, off you're going to go. But if you really want to have a conversation yeah. and love and, and us learn together, hey, we're, we're here. Absolutely. Man, I'm just going to finish with this quote, and it'll really lead us into to next week. Smith Wigglesworth, right, which is revered in the charismatic community, he, he said this. He said, if you choose to believe a lie, you'll continue to believe another lie. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. And as always, keep it lethal.